On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. It's about to get real with the MTV original reality TV star OG, John and Beth, as they chat with great guests to discuss reality TV, music, pop culture, and real world life. Pick up your phone and go to wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Getting Real with John and Beth. Turn it up. Getting Real starts now. Hey, John, how's it going? What's going on, Beth? Oh, my gosh. I was up all night. There were like helicopters. I don't know what is going on. It just seems like more and <laughs> more, and more helicopters. I got to move to Nashville, John. Yeah, you need to leave that jungle of Los Angeles. Too much craziness <laughs> going on. No, we don't need anybody else in Nashville. Our secret's <laughs> out that this is a great place. 150 people move here a day. And while we love you, you know, find Colorado or Oklahoma or something. You know, I've been looking on Zillow and I've been looking at the the house prices and they're, um, I don't know, it's tempting. I got to come out and visit you. No, no. You all created this wonderful California thing and now you endure it. I mean, enjoy it. Well, you know, I was really looking forward to our show today because I get to catch up with an old friend. He is one of the pioneers just like us and he's iconic and legendary. He is, I think he's the first black reality star on network reality television. He's on Big Brother and he had, he's a best-selling author he has this really great Supreme series. His first book was Supreme Models, and then he did Supreme Actresses. And now he's got a third book coming out, Supreme Sirens, where he spotlights black music artists. And uh, I'm so proud to call him my friend, uh, just seeing him constantly going after what he wants and, and making his dreams happen for him. Marcellus Reynolds, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Hi, you two. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is so great, Marcellus. And I was saying to John, like, I can't even remember the last time I've talked to you. It's been so long. It's been so long. It was definitely before the pandemic, but I remember it. I don't remember what year it was. But I definitely remember I came over to your house and we sat in the backyard and we chatted in your beautiful backyard. So I do remember that. So it was definitely before the pandemic. And I think it was before my first book came out, which was 2019. So it's been a while. Yeah. How did you come up with with these books? I want to know. How did that all happen? So there's so many things that I could tell so many stories about how I came to it. But I have always collected books, books about photographies, books about photographers, books about design, books about art. And and like, you know, you could spend tens of thousands of dollars on art books. And I'm that guy that's got stacks of them. If you can see behind me, there's stacks of them all over my apartment. And a book came out in 2011 that was called Vogue Faces of Beauty. And it was supposed to be this, it was this huge oversized book that had all the models that had like sort of appeared in Vogue, but it was British Vogue, but all the models of note. So I got that book, it was like over a hundred dollars. As soon as it came, I cracked it open and I read it from cover to cover. And when I looked inside, I finished it. And then I was like, this can't be right. 
And then I looked at it again, and then I went to the table of contents, and they only had two Black models in the book. And as you know, I started my career as a model, and then I became a celebrity fashion stylist, so fashion is kind of my thing. And I knew all of these amazing Black models that had done really well and sort of changed the face of the business. So right away, right then, I was like, wait a minute, is there a book that has just Black models in it that's devoted to the history of the Black model and her influence on fashion? And there wasn't one. And right then and there, that night, I was up till like six o'clock in the morning and I had like a list. I had my yellow notepad out and I had a list of like Black models off the top of my head. And I had like a hundred women, many of whom I personally knew. And I was like, I'm going to write a book. And that was it. I picked up the phone and within two days I had done like six interviews with like a bunch of top models with like so crazy. Shakara Ladard, who was like a Sports Illustrated Victoria's Secret girl. Tamiko Frazier, who was the first black model to have a makeup contract with Maybelline. Uh, Lana Ogilvy. It was like all these people that were in my Rolodex because they were friends of mine. And they were all like, oh my God, this is an amazing idea. Whatever you need to help. And then just from there, it just kept going and going and going. And it became a book. It took eight years. Eight years? Wow. It took eight years. It was crazy. I didn't realize it took that long from your moment. Like, this is what I'm meant to do. This is my calling. Like, everything's coming together. My whole background, my passion, just bringing it all together. Eight years. It was so crazy also because, as you probably know, as you guys both probably know, when you're like a reality star, you get all these offers to do things. And I had been offered from the time that I came up with the idea for the book, I had gotten offered two publishers wanted to meet me. And I came in and they were like, do you have an idea for a book? And I was like, do I have an idea for a book? And I would tell them the idea for the book. And they both said no. They both said the exact same thing. They said a book about Black women wouldn't sell. And they both wanted me to write books about styling. Like, you know, the gay TV guy that talks, you know, that goes on television and talks about fashion. They wanted another one of those books. And there's already like, you know, a million of those books out there. And I was like, I don't want to do another book that tells people how to dress or breaks people down and destroys them. You know what I mean? I wanted to do not. something that was uplifting. You're an and innovator. So- you you think outside the box. And a lot of people in the entertainment industry, unfortunately, they have a formula and they just think inside this box. So when they get ideas such as your book, they can't. They're they're too afraid to take that risk because, oh, what if it's not successful? This has already been successful. So this is what we're going with. That's hard to fight against. It was actually kind of devastating because I had the two big meetings and each time, you know what it's like. You go into these rooms for these auditions, these meetings, and you think this is the next thing that's going to make me a bigger star or make me a legitimate star. And then you walk out of the room deflated, you know, because it doesn't go the way you want it to go. And and then that's never um, happened to me ever, <laughs> ever in in the music business. I never have had those kind of meetings. Oh, can you, I can only imagine John mm. in Nashville. And when you were talking about how long it took for your book to come together, Alan Jackson has a lyric in one of his very first singles that it made it down to music row and Lordy, don't the wheels turn slow. Like nobody's in a hurry except for you to get your project going. That's such a good line, actually, that line (laughs) from the song, because nobody's in a hurry, actually, 
but you to get this thing done. It was really, and then, you know, there was like all these starts and starts, stops and starts, because I found a publisher that wanted to work with me. And then we got to the point where we were pitching the book. And then all of a sudden the president of that company was like, no, we're not doing this book. A book like this won't sell. And so I'm not gonna go, I'm gonna get into this like kind of come to Jesus moment I had actually. So in 2018, I hit this wall where I wasn't getting any auditions anymore as a TV host. E had long ago let me go. They had, you know, I used to have deals every six months with E for years and they had stopped that. And I couldn't get back in there. I didn't understand what happened. And I was with this great agent, you know, big name agent. She was like, you've got to hang in there. Things are going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And I was like not working. And I'm like basically living off of my own, living off of my savings, right? And then I, even my work as a stylist had dwindled up to nothing. And I mean, I'm literally on fumes. So when you're having that conversation with your agent, they're like, stay in there, buck up, it's gonna be okay. And you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my rent the next month. You know, they don't understand the gravity of it. And you're trying to like maintain some dignity, but you're like two seconds away from bursting into tears crying. And during this last conversation, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was looking for, was doing the reboot. And I know those guys at that production company. So I said to my agent, hey, call over there, tell them I'm available. I want to, like, I'd love to take a meeting with them. And so during that conversation, my agent actually said to me, the guys from Queer Eye for the Straight Guys said that you're too old to do the show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? And then like later on, um, she, and later on in the conversation, I said, well, what happened with my book? What happened with Penguin? Because at one point, Penguin was interested in my book. And she goes, I pitched that book everywhere. And nobody was interested. And I was like, I'm going to hang up right now before I say something that neither one of us can come back from. Because I was ready to call her everything but a child of God and walk, you know, hang up on her. And I feel like in that moment where I was so desperate and I was so kind of lost, that's where I turned to like prayer. And I feel like God took everything from me that I had invested my life in up to that point being on television, being a celebrity stylist, working with this, you know, star and working with that star and doing this and doing that and being on the red carpet. He took all of that from me. And at the end of the day, all I had left was the book because that was the gift that he had given me. And that was what I was supposed to do. And I went on Facebook and I said, does anybody know a literary agent? And one of my oldest friends, was like my cousin's a literary agent. He introduced me to her within two weeks. I had signed with her. Three months to the day of me signing with her, we sold my book. And Supreme Models, two years in a row, had been one of the top selling titles from my publisher. Oh my gosh, amazing. I love this. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... 
I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Marcellus Reynolds, best-selling author of the Supreme series. Hey, I want to know, I want to know, like, the first time America saw you. What was our introduction to you as an individual? Oh, my goodness. So I'm the first ever out gay black man to appear on a major network reality series as a cast member. In 2002, I did Big Brother. 
And so I was the first person on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, the big four, the first gay out black man to appear on a major network reality show. And, you know, Big Brother back then, it was season three, it was new, it was in its infancy, but it was like a huge show because of the strike, because of the actor strike. And it was crazy because 14 million people three nights a week on average watch Big Brother. And I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I didn't watch any reality series except for maybe the occasional season or episode of The Real World. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. when they Go found on. me for Big Brother, I didn't audition for Big Brother. They found me. Yeah, well, I wanted to know about that process because that's kind of how, how it worked for me on The Real World. Yeah, tell us. So, you know, after I think every show is like that, after they get all the tapes of people who want to do the show, then they have holes and they're mm -hmm. like, okay, what do we need? And they didn't have a black guy, apparently. So they went out looking for a black guy. And one of my friends worked for Endemol, who was the parent, who was the production company. And she worked on a show called Flipped, where people switched lives on MTV. So they went to all their employees and they said, do you know a black guy? And my friend Nikki was like, do I know a black guy? His name is Marcellus. He's gay. He's fantastic. Because Nikki and I knew each other from Chicago and we had modeled together. So she had all these crazy stories about the two of us running them streets when we were like young and, and skinny and cute and trying to marry well. So literally they call me up on the phone and I'm like, who is this? How'd you get my number? And then they're like, we're from CBS, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, no. And I, this is, this is what's crazy. I went to my agent at the time I was, I was with Ford in New York. I was on the big board. And Ford told me not to do Big Brother because they said it will ruin your model career because I actually was a working, somewhat successful male model, you know, 30 years and 35 pounds ago. So anyway, Ford said no. And so I told them, no, this is how fate works. Again, I'm talking about fate and I'm talking about God, but I have all these connections to MTV and all these connections to the real world. So I was still modeling and I was living in New York. I was living part-time in Chicago and part-time in New York. I met a guy that lived in New York who was super rich and I fell in love with him. And I stopped modeling because all I was doing was being like the housewife, right? Because he was really rich and I didn't have to really work. So anyway, I ended up having this fight with him in Helmet Lang about a jacket because I wanted to buy this jacket. And he was like, well, just get it. I'll pay for it. And I was like, I don't want you paying for things for me. I can buy my own things. But the jacket was like $500. And so we got into this fight in Helmet Lane. And I ended up saying, you know what? I'm going back home to Chicago because I have all these bookings set up for Chicago. So I left him in New York. So while I was in New York, this wonderful child of God cheats on me with the, the gay guy from the real world Chicago. What? Oh, wait, now, who is that? Let's figure out who that is. The that real is. world Chicago. He was white. He was attractive. He was white? super tall. And he was, I think he was like, I think he was like in, in recovery or something because they met in AA and I wasn't in, God, I wasn't in. It? I'm looking. So. <laughs> no person. I quit and watching that show. From Chicago. <laughs> okay, so, so Tanya but, was on that season. I want to know who this white, this. Oh, we're going to find out. Chris, we're find that. Out. Chris Beckman. They just came up in the in the in the notes and in oh. the chat. So okay, so basically he's like a black boy's nightmare, right? So like, <laughs> you know, like this tall, young, super cute white guy with the body 
is like now dating my like rich old white guy boyfriend, who, by the way, I was in love with. I was devastated. But this is how the universe works. He's, he, I figure out that he's cheating on me with the guy from the real world, Chicago. Lynn Spillman from, from CBS Casting calls me and she's like, we're coming to Chicago to meet you. Will you at least take a meeting? I go to the meeting and I'm a mess because I'm brokenhearted. I'm sitting there, you know, cameras are rolling. One minute I'm crying. The next minute I'm like, no, no, I am a supermodel. This cannot happen to me. I had just, I just worked for Ralph Lauren. And then the next minute I'm like, you know, and I mean, I'm slinging snot. Eyes are red. One minute I go for the cab driver on the way to the, to, to the meeting had hit on me. So I told this whole elaborate story about getting in the cab and the cab driver hitting me. And the cab driver is not on my approved list of people to date, even though he was very cute and he's he's Egyptian. So I did give him my phone number. So they thought I was like crazy. And so of course they now want me to do the show. So they come back again. I say no. They take the film to, to LA. They show it to the executives of CBS. The executives are like gay, black, unicorn, ridiculously over the top. We want him. So now they're calling me every other day. And I'm like, no, I've thought about it. I can't do this. I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And then for some reason, Lynn Spillman called me again and she said, listen, if you don't want to do Big Brother, we'll put you on Survivor and you don't even have to audition. And I said to Lynn, I can't do Survivor because I'd have to wear the same outfit every day and I can't do that. So yes, I guess I'll do Big Brother. And that's how I got Big Brother. (laughs) Wow. What a story. And are you glad? Did you make a good decision or do you look back going, I should have done Survivor? Oh, that's such a good question, John. I probably would have done better on Survivor than I would have done on Big Brother because Big Brother is longer. I was there like 10 weeks, right? I was there like, I think, 83 days or something crazy. And or wait, was it 83 days? If you won the show, you were on the show for 83 days. That's what it was. And I think I left it like 67 days or something crazy. And Big Brother is a very social game because you're literally there in their faces every single day. Everything you say or do is, you know, you know, on television. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine a scenario like that, Beth. Whatever. (laughs) So anyway, but you know, we're different because we're live to the internet 24 seven. People are literally watching us sleep 24 seven, all day, every day. Everything we say is like recorded. There have, there are cameras in the bathroom. There were literally cameras over the head while you're taking a poop. It was unbelievable. It was crazy to show. And I was the only gay person in the house and I was the only black person in the house. And from the first moment I walked through the door, I was the first person nominated for eviction. Within two hours of meeting me, six people had decided that I should go. And that was simply because I was the black guy and I was the gay guy. I was the only other in the show. And that was what I had put up with that whole season. Now we have a language for it. Now we have, now we know what microaggressions are, right? But back then we didn't even have a language for like the stuff that was happening to me and the things that people were saying to me and the way that I was like treated and the way that I was discounted. So I had to literally fight tooth and nail to stay as long as I possibly could. 
And then at the end, when I left, it was because I basically sacrificed myself for my two best friends in the house. And so who are your two best friends wish, in the house? Well, there was the one, there was a black woman. My best friend in the house was, was the other black contestant. Her name was Danielle. And she was the person that actually ended up stabbing me in the back. But my two best friends in the house, other than Danielle, were the woman that won, Lisa Donahue, who Beth, I think you know. Yeah, I know. Her. Um, and then the little southern, the southern majorette girl who everybody thought we were going to hate each other because she's from the South. She was from like East Memphis, you know, something like that. And we ended up loving each other. And she was on the block next to me. And if I got rid of, and if I took myself off the block, then Lisa would have gone up in my place and that would have put them both in danger. And I thought that Danielle being black would never get rid of the other black person, but she did. So it was, it was, it was a, it was a mind. It was really, really, really a mind trip. It was See, I can crazy. relate to that, Marcellus, because that's the way the white people treated me on the real world. <laughs> <laughs> Do people still come up to you and they're like, hey, you're from Big Brother? It happens to me all the time. The, you know, I had a really tough time during Big Brother, during Big Brother, and I, had a re- I suffered from crazy depression afterwards. I got hate mail. I got some very serious threats. For like the first like six months, CBS was like, don't go anywhere by yourself. Tell people where you're going to be. Don't meet anybody online, you know, um, which I found kind of insulting, you know, because of course, you know, like you're the gay guy. Like, so I'm supposed to be hooking up online. What are you saying? But it really sort of changed who I who I was in a lot of ways. I don't know. I, I rarely ever talk about Big Brother because it's really, really painful for me. You know mm. what I mean? It's really, it's, it's really, it's still really, it's still really painful for me. But the best part about being on Big Brother was because I was one of the first gay people to appear on a major network reality series. There was a lot of love. It was the start of a lot of conversations that people will still come up to me to this day and they say, because of you, I came out to my family. We talked about you in my church because of how this, the people in the house were treating you because you were black and because of you, because you were gay. And I love that. I don't love, however, when now kids that are watching it for the first time on streaming services come up to me and they're like, you look like Marcellus from Big Brother. Are you his father? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've gotten that. You look like the guy from the real world, except, except fatter. I'm like, wow. Okay. But if you were going to encapsulate, like you said, big brother was painful for you. If you were going to say it in, in like a concise sentence or two was, what was the pain? Cause I think Beth and I can kind of relate with, with some of it. And, you know, cause people say a lot of things online, they would never say to your face and, oh, I hated you on the real world. It's like, well, time out. I'm a real person. And you might've not liked something I said or did, but I mean, follow you around with a camera and see, you know, how well liked you are 24 seven. And also when you say something about somebody on a show that you're doing, you're saying something about somebody that, you know, it's because mm-hmm. of an interaction that you've had with that person. So of course you wouldn't say the things you said about person that you don't know you know what i mean because i you know i i was the gay guy of course i'm talking i talked a lot of crap in the diary room i let loose in the diary room did i mean it no it was a way to let go let off steam you know if i had come if i had like went off on every single person that said something to me 
that was culturally insensitive or insensitive about my gayness, I would have been going berserk all the time. I would have been gone the first week. I had to suck, I had to like suck back a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? I had to watch my tongue. So when I went into that diary room, that was when I let it rip. You know, otherwise I was going to explode. We had knives in the house. You know what I mean? So, Did you ever feel like, uh, oh, there's a camera on the wall and I need to speak to it. So, uh, you know, I'm feeling some pressure to, to, to let off that steam. Okay. Let me say, let me answer the one question you said, the one clean line that encapsulates mm. how I feel about Big Brother. I thoroughly enjoyed being on a television show because that was something that I had never done before. I wish, however, it hadn't been a reality series where we were competing for money because mm. money brings out the worst in people. And mm -hmm. I wasn't there for that. <laughs> I was there for the love. Yeah. Well, Beth competes on the challenge for money and it gets it gets ugly, right? It gets real ugly. Oh, my gosh. So I can Marcellus, only imagine. Marcellus, would you ever do Big Brother again? If they called no. you and said, we want you to be on Big no. Brother All-Stars or Celebrity Big Brother, you would not do it. Tell me why. I did the first big, I did the first All-Stars and it was even worse than the first time I did Big Brother, oh. if that was possible. Well, because people it are more awful. savvy, right? They're more savvy. People are more savvy and now everybody is monkeying for screen time. So oh. all the people that didn't make it as a star or didn't make it on television are now acting crazy. Meanwhile, I had a television career because I was like a contract boy for E. So I was like, I don't need to be out here running around naked or running around acting crazy or talking about people in a, in a negative way because that could impact my, my real life. So now I'm not the like funny, lighthearted Marcellus. I'm like actually a little bit more serious. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking about what I say before I say it. And so, and I didn't want to do, and I'll let you in another secret. I didn't want to do Big Brother All-Stars. CBS basically forced me into doing it. They kept coming back and asking me over and over after I had said no, like so many, at least four times I said no. I and hope then you were able went, to negotiate more money. I no? wasn't that savvy. Oh, okay. I was not that savvy. If you made it to sequester, you got $25,000. And I was the first person to go to sequester. So I got $25,000. And that sounds like a lot of money. But I was doing the Big Brother talk show, which was an online thing at CBS.com. And my deal for that, for like the 12 weeks the show was going, was more than that. So I lost money doing Big Brother All-Stars. It was like wow. so ridiculous. Wow. But, you know, you know, again, the best part of having done Big Brother is when people of color come up to you and tell you that they love you. And when people that are gay come up to you and say, because of you, I saw myself on television and I never saw myself that I never saw anybody that looked like me or was like me. And that's, you know, little gay kids of every race would say that to me. And it still happens to me to this day. I'm, I'll be at like a bar or something and then a cute guy will come up to me and start talking. And I think he's like hitting on me. And he's like, oh my God, I know you from Big Brother. And I'm literally like, well, I guess I'm not sleeping with you. <laughs> you know what? You, you have, because you're from the beginning of Big Brother, you have paved the way for so many other people. What do you feel about, I mean, CBS is definitely doing a better job. What do you feel about their diversity pledge? 
You know, it's. I think it's really interesting that they have this diversity pledge, and it's a long. It was a long time coming, mm -hmm. and now what we've seen since the diversity pledge is the last three winners have all been ethnic. You know, they've there was right away there was they've all been ethnic. Right away, first season after the diversity pledge was put in place, a black winner, a black male won. Then the next season, we had a black female winner of Big Brother. That was the first, and then last season, the the. The gentleman is, is sake. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. I don't want to be culturally insensitive to anybody. But again, a person of color. So it's kind of funny because it's like now in this show that before that, for decades, for season after season, there was always like a white winner. Now that half the show has to be of color. And that doesn't just mean black. It can be like Latino, black, Asian, sake, whatever. Indian, whatever, now we're seeing those people actually win. And the way that they're winning is the same way that white people used to win. They would all group together and get everybody else out. And then, you know, and then they pick each other off. Now we're seeing black people or people of color all group together and pick everybody off. Wait, wait, and wait, then wait. pick each other off. Are, are, you, are, you, are you telling us that it's rigged now? It's not rigged. But I think it's much closer to fair than it's ever been because we're seeing, you know, it's a social experiment, right? So how do people group together? You know, every season it's all the white alpha males group together, you know, then it's all the girls group together. And then the guys like systematically get rid of the gay guy. He's the first out. Then like the unattractive girl goes, you know, you know, there's like a whole formula to it. And then at the end, it's usually like a couple of white guys because they've won all the like physical challenges, blah, blah, blah. And now you have a white male winner, you know, and now we're seeing okay. the reverse of that, you know, because now so production's not saying it's got to be a person of color. We're going to keep playing the game till a person of color wins. It's not a. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's not a setup. It's just now okay. it's, it's much more now it's much it's working more out that way strategic. and it's working out strategically because okay. now the people of color are, are, are grouping together in the same way that before the people, the white people group together. Just so, think and, if all races came together and united, think of what we could do on this planet. It, it's think really of, an allegory for that, right? Think yeah. about that while we go to break, we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back with Marcellus Reynolds. Tell me about Julie Chen. She seems pretty cool. Oh, I hate Julie Chen. I, I hate bush. Julie Chen. I Marcellus, hate Julie get Chen. to the point. How do, how I do you feel? Julie, I hate Julie Chen. First of all, let me say, let me be brutally honest. Okay. Julie Chen should not have been the host of Big Brother, period, full stop. I don't know how she got it in the first place, right? This is a woman that was like on like, on like a newscaster in like Cincinnati or something. All of a sudden she comes to LA and she's the host of like this huge reality show. Well, it doesn't take, it doesn't, you know, she was the long-term mistress of Les Moonves for years. So Julie Chen basically slept her way into being Julie Chen, the host of Big Brother, and then Julie Chen on CBS This Morning, and Julie Chen on what on the on the talk or the view or whatever show she was on. She got it the old-fashioned way. She flat-backed her way to it. Now, mm. this is what, and I don't have and, respect for people that do that. I don't. And that is just getting, that is a getting real soundbite that will forever live here on the internet. And she knows that I feel like that, and we don't like each other. So every chance she gets, she says about me, 
oh, he was arrogant and that's what cost him the game. No, Julie Chen, my heart cost me the game. I loved the people that were in the house with me at the end and I sacrificed myself for them. And so for you to use words like hubris when you talk about me, when I doubt you know what that actually means, makes me sick. And I use words about her like adulteress when I talk about Julie Chen. I mean, but he divorced his wife, left his children, and he did marry her, but he also got fired from CBS in disgrace because he was a philanderer. So, like, I don't have anything good to say about Julie Chen or Les Moonves. Both of them could kick rocks. Well, I just have an observation. I just have an observation that the roles have kind of reversed. Now it's Beth that's asking the provocative question. And usually it, it's vice versa. Usually, usually it's Jeff, it's Beth that's going off the handle and, and, you know, speaking her mind and then going, <laughs> Ooh, I don't know where that came from, but that was just refreshing there. I got to sit back and enjoy that for a minute. I never talk about big brother and here I am literally like, let, let it, let it go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm trying to focus on my music career and people are like, so we watched you on the real world 30 years ago. And I'm like, yeah. And I have this great new music that's out. And they're like, yeah. So what was it like living with Beth and Tammy? I'm like, it was hell on earth. So my song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True story. Oh, it's the man. same thing. It's yeah. the same thing. Well, I that's what we know you from. And that's what I said. Uh, tell us where America got introduced to you, because that is, that's what, you know, first forever be, I mean, like Mike Tyson does stuff. He's always the boxer, you know, Hulk Hogan's always going to be Theo Vaughn started on road rules. The Miz was a real worlder, but you know, oh, now he's, you know, there's stars in other arenas, but it doesn't matter. We were first, my first impression of you. And that's where I got introduced. And then, you know, it evolved from there. I have another connection to the real world and this is Ooh, so tell crazy us, tell us tell us the connection i want to hear this this is so crazy because I, I don't think i've ever told this story but i was my first season as a model was like i started in may of 1995 and this, i spent the summer in chicago and in new york because that was the circuit and then for the for the winter you usually either go to Milan or you go to Miami. And I was supposed to go to Milan, but all of my friends were going to Miami and I didn't want to be the only person going to Milan alone. So I decided to take my whatever. I decided to go to, I just, I was going to say take my ass. I decided to take my ass to, Mil to Miami against my agent's wishes. So I'm sitting in Miami, like basically not working, right? because it's not really a black boy market. So I'm sitting in Miami and I'm waiting tables at this restaurant a couple of days a week at this restaurant called Nemo, which was like the hot restaurant. But you had to work a penance shift. You have to work a lunch shift. And I never wanted to work lunch shifts because I should have been hypothetically working or going on casting. But anyway, there's one day I'm standing at the front desk and I'm talking to my best friend who was also a model who was with me from Chicago. And we're standing at the desk pissed off because we have to work lunch. And this group of people come up to the desk and they're like, hi. And I'm like this, because I'm in the middle of a conversation. I throw my finger up because I'm in the middle of a conversation <laughs> with Kathy. This is how rude I am. And then, so then I'm like, what do you, yes. And they're like, we have a reservation, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, it's like, and the reservation is under like so-and-so, so-and-so from MTV. And so we, and so now I'm like completely nice. I'm like MTV. I'm like, what are you guys doing here? So my friend Kathy puts this big table in my section. So I end up talking to the people from the show. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm from Chicago. No, you're not. Yes, I am. 
you know, and everybody's like, Chicago gangsters, it's so, you know, so bad there, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whatever. So I'm like working the table and it turns out that the people there are from, are producers from the real world and they're there finishing casting for the show and they're there looking for where the space that they're going to film the real world Miami. They end up asking me and Kathy if we want to audition for the real world Miami. Oh, wow. Kathy <laughs> says, no, absolutely not. Of course I say yes, absolutely I want to. And I end up taking like a couple of meetings with them to do the real world Miami. And at the last possible, not the last possible second, but I ended up dropping out because I was like a real working sort of model. So I wanted to see how far I could get with that. And it was so oh. funny because they cast Dan Rin Dan Rinzi on the show. Mm -hmm. And I actually did. think Dan and I were with the same agency because he <laughs> would turn up at castings with this whole film crew behind him and all the real models would have their books in their hands and they would be like, no, no, don't show us, don't film us. <laughs> wow, I'll tell you what, I don't know that the real world Miami cast could have handled you. I mean, that, that was oh. full cast. John. I mean, John, seeing Marcellus with Flora would have been, uh -huh. oh. With, with Dan Renzi and Cynthia. And with Dan and Cynthia. And Cynthia oh, and that would have been. And oh. Cynthia. Well, I mean, okay, so, and so Cynthia. You know yeah, and Cynthia. <laughs> if, I had met, if I had made the show, there would have been no Dan because they would okay. never have put two gay guys in the house together because we would have been You're sleeping together. You're right, it was together. 1995. You would have been sleeping right. <laughs> but we you know, you would have never been on Big Brother. You probably the whole course of your, you know, reality career would have you probably wouldn't have been on Big Brother. So this I mean so this is so true. I think things happen the way that they're supposed to happen and they work mm -hmm. out the way that they are supposed to. So Well, I yeah. know some of those cast members. I don't I don't think I would wish that experience on you because uh, that was that a lot was, in Miami. Let's do that a mashup. Like let's do a mashup now. <laughs> Put Marcellus in with Flora and Dan Renzi. You know, I probably I think Dan Renzi is single right now. Marcellus, are I you? I wonder what Dan Renzi looks like. Oh, he's oh he, he's all over <laughs> TikTok and, and Instagram. Yeah, he's he's so he's, handsome. He's a social media the like. He's, guy. Uh, John, yeah, you gotta you gotta follow him. John, I think we should I think we should hook those two up together. Well, I think they're grown. They can they can do what they want. I know, I mean, but there's okay. like adult matchmakers. We could be matchmaking right now. Listen, I, like I think you and people. I have enough on our plate. I don't think that's one of our roles in life. It's definitely John not is yours. having none of it. He's like, I am not getting involved. I'm like, you know, these dating. are adult. Do you like, like it when people try to fix Christian you up? That's right. I am. But as a matter of fact, Marcellus. I've been a youth pastor for the last 25 years and I always this is this is my youth pastor question I like to ask people because it you know even as an adult it's not just for young people what do you what do you see yourself doing in five years is a really great question for all of us to to just look into the the you know our goals and the future and 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 you know what do you see yourself doing what would you like to be doing I just wrote out my intentions for the end of the year and for 2024 and so in the next you know, my new book comes out in January, at the end of January. So I'm doing a, a proper book tour for this book. So I will be on the road for like six months promoting this book. And, um, you know, my first documentary came out. The first book became a documentary, which I executive produced. And that came out in 2022. So now I'm trying to flip all of my books, all three of my books into documentaries. I have another idea for a documentary that's getting some traction. My 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 publisher actually wants a fourth 
book, but I've written three books in five years. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to look at writing another book for at least another two, maybe three years. But in the next five years, I've been grinding for a really long time. And I want a, I want a boyfriend that becomes a husband. So I really do think that, you know, I've had all this kind of success late in life within the last five years. And now I like am in a successful place that I'm proud of. I was never proud of being a reality star. I wasn't happy when I was running around chasing fame, trying to be a TV star. But now as an author and a documentarian, I'm very happy. I'm very proud of where I am. So now I think I'm ready to actually have a real relationship. Um, and that's what I, that's what I'm really going to like pursue. And that's what I see myself having within the next five years, being in love, creating a home, having somebody to come home to every single night, getting out of these streets. <laughs> Aww, that's awesome. I love that Marcellus. Okay. We are going to ask you some questions about some music now because i want to know what kind of music you're into okay uh, all right so if you had to choose between prince or rick james who are you choosing marcellus prince come on rick james is like broke down prince oh uh, okay <laughs> i mean i think they're both great i think they're both great okay they're both uh, great in their own way yeah both great in their own way what's your favorite prince song do me baby do me baby. Okay. It's the, like this total sexual crazy song that I shouldn't have been listening to when I was like, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old in high school, but I would play it on repeat all the time. And I don't know why my mother didn't just walk into the room, grab that album and break it. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know that I'm familiar with that Prince song. Why don't you sing a bar? No, 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 no. Sing a bar, sing a bar, sing a bar. It goes, it's, it, there's a lot of moaning. Um, but I think it starts with, here we are looking for a reason for you to lay me down. But a love like ours is never out of season. So baby, please stop teasing me. Anyway, it's totally like a sex song. It's really like that song. <laughs> okay, Earth, Wind and Fire or The Gap Band? Ooh, Earth, Wind and Fire. That's a tough one, right? They're both great. It's not it's not tough because earth wind and fire is like legendary but the gap band did like you dropped the bomb on me is like forever mm -hmm. a amazing song so there mm -hmm. you know they had some hits okay, Baby. <laughs> okay. this is an this is an important one but this one would be hard i wouldn't know who to choose christopher cross or michael mcdonald get out of here now you know best that my wheelhouse is 70s like rock like 70s light rock i love sailing takes me away um, a horse with no name by kansas will bring me to tears anything by like america um like oh wait is the horse with no name by america is there with kansas i think it's like kansas um uh of course michael mcdonald it's like he you know it's blue-eyed soul it's like the doobie brothers it's like minute by minute but it's also that great duet he did on my own with Patti LaBelle, which is a standard. You know what I mean? Michael Mc and Michael McDonald was fine as hell back in the day. Michael McDonald could get it. <laughs> yeah, A Horse With No Name was America. I can confirm that. But can you name another America song? Because I don't know any others. Um, Sister Golden Hair. Alrighty then. <laughs> I think my friend's father was in America. 
I got to call him up, but I think my friend's father was in a band called America. Anyway, but you know, Christopher Cross, Michael McDonald, you can hear him in some of the Chris Cross songs. Have you noticed really? that? Really? Yes. Was he producing Chris Cross or what? Was he singing background for him? Yes. Because I think that Michael McDonald also sang, sang background for Kenny Loggins. And I have a whole oh, Kenny yes, Loggins. Oh, yes, Kenny Loggins. I love Kenny Loggins, too. Listen, Kenny Loggins <laughs> is my is one of my songs when I need to be hyped up. I will put on This Is It on repeat. And I'll be nowhere yes. to run, nowhere to hide. <laughs> See, I put on the Danger Zone. I, okay, Danger Zone. Oh. Next. Okay, but that's the next one I was going to ask you. Kenny oh. Loggins. Or mm. Richard Marks. Kenny but it Loggins, don't mean of course. Nothing, the words that they say. Kenny, Kenny Loggins, Kenny Loggins, of course. Kenny, minute by wait, is Kenny was Kenny Loggins minute by minute, or was that the Doobie Brothers? That was the Doobie Brothers. What else was Kenny Doobie Loggins? Brothers, I know yeah. this is that, but there was another Kenny Loggins song that I put on every. Oh, the song. There's a really sweet song where he talks about it, like his son and his and his wife. Mm, the wife is having a baby and now there's going to be three of us. I love that song. Mm, <laughs> nice. I'm a music boy. My new book is like Supreme Sirens, Iconic Black Women Who Revolutionized Music. I'm, I've been immersed for the last two years in music. Okay. Patti LaBelle or Shaka Khan? How dare you? <laughs> oh, my God. It's, that's, a, that's a hard one. I'm going to say Shaka Khan only because I interviewed her for my new book and Patti LaBelle said no. So Shaka, Shaka Khan. Khan. Shaka Khan, you interviewed Shaka? Oh, I love I Shaka. Shaka. Oh, I love Shaka. <laughs> she was fun. <laughs> she was I, fun. I, I need a Shaka But you know what, Patti, Patti LaBelle is legend too because before she was Patti LaBelle, she was in a group called LaBelle with like Nona Hendricks and another woman and they were super influential. And all the stuff right now that you see, like people like Grace Jones doing, and then after them, people like Janelle Monet and people like Beyonce and even Rihanna. It's like LaBelle was doing that. LaBelle was like dressed up like Elton John. And they didn't just sing like soul music, they sang rock songs as well. It was really exper experiential, you know what I mean? Exper experimental. So yeah, Patty is the real deal too, but Shaka Khan. What's your favorite Chaka Khan song? Um, see, I'm black, so I'm gonna say another song that you guys aren't gonna know. But it's I might called know it. um, it's called Hot Butterflies. It's called um, Papillon or something like that. And and it's it's this song that like black people ride for. I'm telling you, like you put that song on the picnic, and your mama and your daddy is on the floor grinding and slow dancing, <laughs> and people are stepping. And wow. it's like, it's like that song. It is, oh God, her voice is like silk. It's unbelievable, but it's I called uh, Hot Butterflies. It's called Papillon and then the, then it's in parentheses, Hot Butterflies. What about Through the Fire? That's, I love that song. Legendary, of Through course. Amazing, oh. amazing. And the range. Oh God, yes. There's so many Shaka Khan songs. So many. So are you, are you a Beyonce or a Rihanna? I'm both. You're both. I How know I'm both choose? too. I know you can't choose. It's so hard to choose between Rihanna it's, and Beyonce. It's, it's it's like Sophie's choice. Yeah. It's like Rihanna needs to unleash that new album that she's been teasing us with for the last like ten years. Um, I can't wait for that. 
I think I'm more Rihanna than Beyonce, honestly, because I love, there's so many things that Rihanna has done outside of music. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, what she's done with Fenty Cosmetics, what she's done with the the clothing. The billion dollar business. It's a billion dollar business. She's just like this, she's just like this unbelievable, iconic businesswoman. But even with her brand, with Fenty, it's all inclusive. It's like every race, every size, every shape, every sexuality, you know, and that's not something that you see all the time in fashion. It's just the real, she is like the forerunner benchmark in diversity and inclusion. And so, yeah, you know, it's, if we're talking just straight up singer, it's Beyonce, of course, one of the greatest voices of all time. But if we're talking about like as a person and we're talking about business acumen, it's Rihanna. It's Rihanna. Yeah, she's great. What's your favorite Rihanna song? Oh my God. What's the, this is so awful, but it's the song she did with Eminem where she's, I love, love the way you lie, Mm -hmm. where Megan Fox is the girl in the video. And it's all about like, it's all about domestic violence. But I also, I mean, I also love Diamonds. Oh my God. You know, yeah, of course I love Diamonds. Thank you put that on when I'm in like the bathtub and I'm like in bubbles and I'm like, you know, (laughs) but beautiful like diamonds in the sky. Um, I mean, there's so many amazing, iconic Rihanna songs. I mean, it's almost like what's your favorite Rihanna album? Yeah. Um, Okay. And who do I want? Oh, Kanye or Jay-Z? Jay-Z. Me too. Without a doubt. Jay-Z. Jay-Z. I love Jay-Z. I don't think anyone on the planet would argue with that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. especially I since mean, it, Kanye's loony. Yes, it makes me sad that Kanye went the way that he went because I loved Kanye. And, you know, Kanye's from Chicago and I'm from Chicago and I ride hard for people from Chicago. That's my hometown. But, I mean, Kanye, like, it's ridiculous. I actually don't want to even play any of his songs anymore. I want to, like, remove them from my my iTunes. It's that serious. I think the world feels that way. Yeah. (laughs) And as far as Beyonce goes, what's what's your Beyonce jam? I mean, first of all, I love Renaissance. The entire album is like genius. And it's one of those albums that you put on and every single track is amazing. And you don't see that anymore. People release a single or they release two singles and that's all you get out of an album. But with Renaissance, you could put that whole thing on and listen to it front to back. I thought that was amazing. I love Break My Soul, got me through some really tough times with this last book. But I think I'm always going to go back to If if I Were a Boy. I love that song. And I love Halo. Okay. I love Halo. My favorite Beyonce song. And I just, I love to just jam it. And I just reminds me of just like driving down sunset or PCH in my car. I love boyfriend. I don't think I've ever heard boyfriend. Oh yes, you have. Look for me young free. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes, yes, yes. With Jay-Z. No, it's not called boyfriend. It's called Bonnie and Clyde, isn't it? I thought it was called boyfriend. I think it's called Bonnie and Clyde. Is it? I think it's called Bonnie and Clyde. If I'm not um, mistaken. I like all the single ladies. All the single ladies. Do you? Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. I I mean, it's an iconic video. You you know, it doesn't get better than that. But yeah. Okay. 
Elton John or Stevie Wonder? I'm about to lose my black card, Elton John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gone. But you're keeping your gay card, see? That's how that worked. Yes, you know, you have to pick one. You can't have them both. <laughs> can't have them both. John, you can't well, have them both. You got to pick one. I'm learning every day. I'm learning every day. And what's your favorite Elton John song? Tiny Dancer, of course. Okay. I love Empty Garden. Just makes I me love cry. Rocket Man. Rocket I also Man. love Rocket Man. I also love Rocket Man. I also love Benny and the Jets. Side note, Elton John loves me. My favorite, my favorite Beyonce song is Bonnie and Clyde. I don't know why I thought it was Boyfriend, but I should know the name well, of the song if it's my favorite Beyonce song. She, she repeats <laughs> in the bridge Boyfriend constantly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I understand that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, now, this is an important one. And if you answer this wrong, I'm going to be really disappointed in you. Okay. Okay. The Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Both iconic. The Beatles. Okay. You, no, you answered correctly. Okay. Okay. The Beatles. Okay. The Beatles. Okay. That is, do you have a, like a favorite Beatles song or favorite John Lennon, Paul McCartney song? Um, there's a song that... Oh my God, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on it. And well, now I'm distracted because I just got a crazy email, uh, which is why you should not look at your, which is why you should not look at your phone ever when you're in the middle of something. Um, but I am in the middle of beginning a book tour. So there's always, there's all this crazy stuff that's going on. Oh. Music stars are insane, John. <laughs> they have demands. Thought, they have demands. I thought models were bad. Then I yeah. thought actresses were bad. Yeah. Music stars are a whole next level of like crazy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Beatles song. There has to be a Beatles song that I love because, and I can't think of any, I can't think of any Beatles songs. <laughs> Not a one. Well, maybe it's like Penny Lane, you know, maybe Penny Lane, maybe Strawberry Fields Forever. But I'm saying that because those are the ones I can remember, Golden, but there's Golden definitely- slumbers. There's definitely a Beatles song that I actually love. There's always a song by somebody, one song by somebody that I absolutely love and will play on repeat. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Maxwell or Babyface? Maxwell. Maxwell. Okay. Nice. So are you a are you a big Chicago fan? Do you like Chicago? Chicago the band or Chicago the city? Chicago the band. I'm a fan of both. If you leave nice. me now, you take away the biggest part of me. Ooh, child, baby, please don't go. Yes, Chicago. Saturday in the park. I think it was the uh -huh. 4th of July. Yes, Chicago. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I think our I think we're running out of time, so I think we got to go now. But <laughs> Marcellus, it was so great catching up with you. Guys, this Thanks. was so much fun. Thanks for I coming on, getting real. I can't Listen, wait I to see your new book. Demons. I can't wait. It's I can't. out there. Your third it's book, is it, it's being released in 2024, correct? Yes, it comes out January 23rd, 2024. Supreme Sirens, iconic Black women who revolutionized music. First ever devoted exclusively to Black female musicians and singers. It's it's historic. It's It's... The whole history of black females and music it starts and it starts like with josephine baker and billy holiday and it just moves forward beautifully and everybody's Marcellus, in it where do we find your books every everywhere books are sold 
There you but go. They do a but Amazon, of course, and Amazon. I mean, you can't beat Amazon. You can order. Remember it today when Amazon just did later. books? Yeah, I mean, Amazon right? started as now they sell you know diapers and toothbrushes and, and they, everything. No, people talk badly about Amazon, but Amazon has sold a lot of books on Amazon. So I'm I like it. Amazon. I like but, it a um, lot. But I love bookstores. So if you have a favorite bookstore, even if the bookstore doesn't carry it, you can go to the bookstore and say, I want to order this book and they will yep. order it for you. And I would I, definitely prefer you did that. I think it's important to uh, to support your local bookstore, right? I mean, there's something yes, about is. going to a bookstore and looking at the book, reading yes. the back cover and just taking the whole it. whole process. And a lot of books are like, you know, pieces of art as well. Yes. Right. I mean, yes, mine are art and, and, your, and your books, your books are like pieces of art. So I think that if if people that are listening, if you're thinking about what should I get? So and so Marcellus's books make the perfect gift. Supreme models, supreme actresses and supreme sirens. Until next time, keep it real. You've been listening to Getting Real with John and Beth on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Executive produced by Christian Swain and Peter Firioli. Edited by Michael DeVestia. Produced by Lindley Ehrlich. Hosted by Beth Delarchek and John Brennan. Be sure to follow us on social media on Instagram and TikTok. You can follow Beth at Best Real World and follow John at JohnBrennan.com. Also, follow the podcast on Instagram at Getting Real with John and Beth. Until next time, keep it real. Beth! to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.